This is an ABC podcast. I literally think that the day I realised I was autistic is the best day of my life because every single thing that I'd struggled with all made sense in one go and I had built up all these stories of shame and how I was lazy and unorganised and, and bad and bad, bad, bad. All of those stories just it almost felt like veils dripping off me. It was a very real experience. And all of a sudden I made sense. Did you know it's estimated that one in 70 people in Australia are autistic? That means most of us have had an experience with autism. We might be living life as an autistic person ourselves, or we have children, friends, students, or colleagues who are autistic. But what do we really understand about autism? And what's the impact on those who are living with it when we don't? So today on Parental As Anything, we're going to find out because it affects so many people, including lots of our kids. You know that saying about walking a mile in someone else's shoes? Well, that's what we're doing today. We're finding out what it means and feels to be autistic. If your child is autistic, we can help you understand them better. And if your child has a friend or classmate who's autistic, I'm going to help you understand them better. Alison Davies is a music therapist who uses music to reduce anxiety in both children and adults. And she's also autistic. Alison, what does being autistic mean for you? It's everything about me. So I cannot separate who I am from the way I think, feel, express myself, the things I do, the things I want to do. All of those things are autism. Okay, so I had been told that I should always put the person before the condition, like David Mm. has autism, and Mm. now every now and then people are preferring the other way around. So is there a right way or a wrong (laughs) way? Can you help us through that little bit of confusion? Absolutely. The right way is always to address someone with their preferred identity. So some people will prefer David has autism or I have autism. The overwhelming majority of the autistic community prefer identity first language, which means I'm autistic over I have autism. And there's a couple of reasons for this. When we say we have something, it almost implies that it's something separate to who we are. So I am a fully formed person, except I have this thing. And that implies it's something we don't like or it's something we're less proud of or it's something that we can get over. Explain it's not pathological. I really need you to do that bit for me. Yes, it is not pathological. (laughs) It's not a disorder. It's a neurotype and they are very separate things. Our neurotype just describes who we are like our gender does. It's not something that is lesser than. It is not something that needs to be fixed or changed. It's not pathological. Most people know that there is kind of an autism spectrum. However, Mm. it's not a straight line, Ali. Give me your explanation of how that all flows out. Yeah, well, the problem with the way we talk about the autism spectrum is that we tend to talk about it in a way that makes us think it is linear. It's just not 
true. We have millions of different parts of personality and and characteristic that come together to make up every single person. And if we tried to put, for example, a neurotypical person or a non-autistic person on a spectrum and say, oh, you lay somewhere here on this line in terms of who you are and how you can contribute to the world, there would be outrage. Absolutely. And also we we really need to be careful of that whole high functioning and low functioning because even the high functioning ones can really struggle with some aspect of their life and their development. And those low functioning can sometimes lead incredibly effective lives. And that's another one of those things that we really have to be mindful of because it was quite normal to talk like that several years ago. Yeah. And I I think one of the biggest challenges now, or the biggest things we're advocating for now is that it's okay to talk about these words and to work out what they mean. I'm someone who has been called and would be considered by the community as a high-functioning autistic person. And it really, really means that a lot of my struggles and a lot of the pain and a lot of the things that I'm really disabled by are not recognised. And that can make it very, very difficult for me to function in the world. Yeah. Ali, talk me through some of the characteristics of autism. All right. Well, firstly, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. We all know that. So there's a whole range. All of the different characteristics you could expect in any person are characteristics you would expect in an autistic person. However, there are some things that are really quite specific. You know, one of them is what we call stimming, which is short for self-stimulation. And that is something that uh, many people do as a way of supporting their sensory needs. So autistic people often have a sensory profile that means they have a low threshold for certain sensory input and they have a huge threshold for other sensory input where they need lots and lots and lots and lots of sensory input. So that's why you will see people flapping. And yes, it's okay to use the word flapping. You will see people rocking and flapping and squeezing their muscles and biting their collar and chewing on things. And this is all a really, really great way of them regulating and being able to focus and engage and be in the environment that they're in. Meltdowns are another common characteristic of autistic people. Autistic people are often in a state of survival mode. And that is because the environment we live in just was not designed to suit our needs. And so we live in a state of high arousal. Our nervous system is not happy. (laughs) Our brain is always a little bit on edge. And so our body is always a bit pent up and tight. And when we live like that, we get to a point that is so big, we just can't cope anymore. And it all comes out. And that's a meltdown. It's not a conscious choice. It's not something we're doing like what we might think a, a tantrum is. We're doing something for an outcome. A meltdown, we have no say in it. It just happens. Now, one of the most common things that is out there is that the notion that autistic people don't feel empathy or can't show it. Can you clarify the truth around that, please? Yeah, it's a myth. You know, in fact, the autistic community will say we have so much big empathy and I think part of it is that we are so highly empathetic. It is so overwhelming inside us, this sense of social justice and picking up on the energies of the people around us that it can be impossible for us to express in words or in actions how we actually process that in a way that other people can see our empathy. That means the empathy, the feelings are often become pent up inside us, which can also lead to meltdowns. Okay. Mm. So what are Mm -hmm. some of the early signs or symptoms that your child may be autistic? 
Well, you know, one of the first things is is if autism is in your family, it, it is genetic. So there's a good yeah. first step. If one of the parents or the grandparents or the auntie or uncles or the niece or nephews are autistic, then it's going to be on your mind. But you get this feeling that my child needs support and I, I just don't know what else to do to meet their needs. And I don't really understand what those needs are, but I, I just have this real instinct that there's something more to them that I am not yet recognising and I need to know what that is. And that is the feeling that sort of starts a lot of people on their journey. What does the concept of social, the social model of disability mean? Okay, I love this. Um, This is so important to talk about. Thank you for asking. It tells us that we are not disabled by being autistic. The social model of disability tells us that we are disabled because the society isn't able to cater for our needs. I'm someone who has never been able to hold down a job because I find I can't stay in a workplace. And that, to me, I am disabled in that way because my needs aren't being able to be met. Being autistic in and of itself is not the disability. It's how we are catered to in schools, in the workplace, in the community that sort of defines how we are disabled in the world. And the very fact that it's called, you know, ASD, you know, that disorder part at the end, that kind of adds into that, you know. Yeah, look, just let's drop the D. I mean, let's just call it autism because it really isn't a disorder. That's misleading. Let's put our autistic child into a classroom. What are the particular challenges? And they can change day by day, but what challenges are particularly pertinent for our autistic kids, Ali? Look, I think classrooms are challenging for all kids. Yes, thank you. (laughs) To start with. (laughs) The expectation, and it's the same thing for autistic children, the expectations are too high, the expectations are too much, there's milestones and needing to be met at certain ages, and there's this textbook system that was based around neuronormative expectations which means the expectations on autistic children in the classroom are generally the same expectations as they have for all of the other kids. That is what is disabling. So it is difficult, for example, for a child to be in a class with 20 or 30 other children. It's difficult to be in a place where it's unpredictable. There could be something happening around you that you have no idea is going to happen and you weren't expecting it. And because autistic children and adults are usually always in survival mode, those are the triggers that can just build up inside us in a way that make it really difficult for us to learn. And there's a lot of kids just being in the classroom, holding it together all day, holding it together, holding it together, holding it together, and then they're not actually able to learn because the expectations are so high. Okay, so how can a parent advocate for a more inclusive classroom then, for one that really includes them and celebrates them? You know, I was just thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about how when I was a kid, the kids who used to swing on the chairs used to get in trouble and now schools give them wobble (laughs) stools and they're allowed to wobble around and that is a beautiful way of supporting a child's needs. So I would suggest for parents, firstly, it's very difficult not to get angry because we are protective and we want the best for our children. It's really, really important to know what you want, know who your child is, know what your child needs and to be able to just ask for those things clearly and communicate clearly and try not to let any (laughs) emotions like anger filter out into the communication because I really feel that if we can communicate clearly with schools between parents and schools and I think schools could learn a lot from parents 
And I want to emphasise that schools and teachers really need to listen to the experience of the parents who are coming and saying, this is what my child needs. So what can a parent say to the child's teacher and to other parents to reduce the stigma for their child around autism? Okay. I mean, it's simple. I think that everyone in the society needs to understand that autistic people are people and their needs are very, very similar to all children's needs. And they are absolutely able to socialise in their way. It doesn't have to be the way that society expects it of them. If they are there, if they're hanging out with other kids, they might not be looking at them, they might not be talking to them, but they are there having that exact same experience and that experience is enough. If they are learning in a different way than the other kids are learning in the classroom, that is enough. There's no need for them to change to conform to how other people are doing it. How can a parent advocate for their child within the community, particularly in like recreational activities or other things that children participate in? I think flexibility is key. So if an autistic child, for example, goes to gymnastic lessons or participates in a carnival, that they can come and go, that they can do shorter sessions, that they can have weeks off, that they can choose not to compete, they might just choose to train. And I think it's understanding that no matter how we or our children participate, that is enough. Ali, your daughter is autistic as well. And the difference is you were diagnosed at 36. So (laughs) what changed for you once you were diagnosed? Oh, my entire life. Like, I literally think that the day I realised I was autistic is the best day of my life because every single thing that I'd struggled with all made sense in one go. And I had built up all these stories of shame and how I was lazy and unorganised and bad and bad, bad, bad. All of those stories just it almost felt like veils dripping off me. It was a very real experience and all of a sudden I made sense. That is the thing that I love for my daughter who was diagnosed at five, that we can openly talk about autism. We embrace our autistic culture. We love autism and we would not want to be any other way. And so I hope for her that she won't build up these stories about she's not enough. How do you think her experience will be different to yours? She owns her identity. She's a really great autistic girl. Like she, not that anyone (laughs) isn't a great autistic person, but she understands it. She asks questions about it. She tells people she's autistic. She knows what her boundaries are and tells people when she can't do something or if she needs support. What I feel for her is that she's part of a generation in which autism is no longer a bad word Mm. and that it's okay. And she's going to be part of this huge social change where I feel like this generation of youngsters now could potentially be (laughs) the ones who were the first generation to be able to claim their identity proudly and have all the other children not know any different, not know that it used to be a bad thing and for it to be a true sort of inclusive shift in our culture. And I, I hope that for her and that's what I think will happen for her. Ali, can you explore some of the support options available for kids with autism? One of the biggest byproducts of being autistic is experiencing anxiety. And so all of the ways that we would support anyone who experiences anxiety are going to be really, really helpful for autistic children, understanding their feelings inside their body and knowing that they can stomp or jump or dance or sing or have an outlet, do a sport, run around, play and shake their bodies, all of those kinds of things. Showing children those kinds of skills at a young age is really, really important because then they start to learn that they can 
self-regulate, which obviously doesn't happen when they're little. But over time, if we plant those seeds in children's minds, as they become older, they will start to be able to recognise the signs inside their body and be able to support their own needs. So you've already said, if you've met one person with autism, you've just met one person with autism. Mm. If you can leave us with one message for people who, who really can still struggle to understand it, what's your message? Oh, look, autistic people are just so wonderful <laughs> and we are enough and we are great and we have so much to offer. I could never not be autistic. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to not think the way I think. And I just want to assure people that we autistic people don't hate our autism. What we hate is being treated like we need to be different. I love that. And I think it's that thing again of every parent. We never know what child we're going to get, but whichever one we are given that opportunity to have, may we learn to understand them and love them exactly as they are, not how we might want them to be. Fierce, unconditional love. So here are some of my tips for parenting children with autism. Autism is not a disorder. It's a neurotype. It describes who someone is, not something that needs to be fixed. The classroom and other social environments can be challenging for autistic children. If you're addressing the needs of your child with their school or their sports club, Know what you want and ask for those things clearly. Autistic children can learn to self-regulate their emotions. Helping them understand the feelings inside their bodies will put them in good stead for their future. Autistic and neurodivergent kids have exactly the same needs as all other children to be loved, valued and accepted exactly as they are. Now, if you're looking for more information around parenting children with autism, check out the Parenting Spectrum, a podcast about autism and family life. You'll be invited into the home of Fiona Churchman and Travis Saunders and their son, Patch, as they discover what an autism diagnosis means and what happens next. Sometimes it can feel lonely in our little family, like no one understands our reality why the hard times are so tough and the good times are so phenomenal. We have so many questions about how to teach and guide Patch as his parents. How do we keep him safe? Why won't he sleep? And how do we set him up for the future? So we've gathered a tribe around us, autistic adults, other parents and experts who can help. This is the podcast we wish existed when Patch was diagnosed on the autism spectrum as a toddler, which is where this story starts. You'll find The Parenting Spectrum on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Parental as Anything, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So what is ADHD and why do some people think it's overdiagnosed in children or don't even believe it's real? You know, when I hear that it's not real, it, it just breaks my heart because the way that it impacts and, and the variety of ways that it impacts kids, you know, it leads to some of the most, the worst outcomes and the ones we don't want to think about as parents. You'll find out how we can help a child with ADHD thrive, both at home and in the community. That's next on Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. <laughs>